podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Chance for WDD, yeah! His comments! Hello and welcome for the final time in the 2020-21 season to Steve Bloomer's Washing, your independent Derby County fan podcast. We made it through together. We survived for now. Uh, Although it was ugly, it was painful, it was infuriating for the vast majority, but we're here to have our final say and look back on a year which was memorable mostly for the wrong reasons for Derby County. Uh, before drawing a line under this sorry season once and for all. I'm your host, Chris Parsons, and it's a roller coaster of emotions for us on the pod today because, on the one hand, we have to talk about this season, but on the other hand, Richard Kutcher, I'm sat here looking at your beaming face <laughs> in the flesh. It's our first pod in what person since August the 2nd last year. It's been a long 285 days, hasn't I've it? been counting them. been counting them day by day. When will we next get to see Chris Parsons in the flesh? <laughs> does he still exist as a real man? You're, only, we, you're only human. Well, you're we only found human. out today, we found out today he does exist, people, as a real human. My head is a little bit less round than I think it was last August, but it is still beaming, despite everything we've been through. It's a genuine pleasure. Uh, Tom Martin's here as well, although you're mainly here just for the pizza oven there, aren't you? Um, without doubt. And I'll take the beer as well. I'm very happy with that. So. Good. I mean, yeah. why, why change the habit of, of, a, of a lifetime? I mean, um, <laughs> and we are going out in style because Anton's in the mix too. It's a full house in my house. Um, Anton, we haven't actually caught up since the final day yet. Have you Have you recovered suitably from uh, from what happened? It took a while. It took a while. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not ready to look back on that season, <laughs> to be honest, but I, I, I am only here for the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well... More on another bonkers few days at Pride Park uh, later on in the podcast, but just just one normal week. That's, that's that's all we ask for. But in the meantime, of course, Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered and has been partnered for the whole season with our friends at Derby Brewing Company. Uh, more on them in a bit, but make sure you get down there, support your local brewery when those guys open up their venues very, very shortly. But it is a season review pod, of course, so... Guys, cast your mind back to early September when this season started. Optimism was was pretty high, I'd say. Um, Kutch, I did have a look back at the season preview that you did for Sky Sports. Um, I mean, look, what, what I would say is that you said mostly what we would have agreed with. You know, we would have said the same thing, but you mostly. had us down for a ninth place finish. Sure. Yeah. Possibly even scraping the playoffs. Uh, I think we can all agree that hasn't age particularly well but as I say we would have agreed with you at the time and 442 magazine tipped us to finish fourth in the season that's just gone so you were far from the only one but once the season started there was those uh, there was five defeats in our first six games Tom I'll come to you first on this was there a moment in those early few games when it was still Koku when he just realised we're in trouble here this isn't going to be in a normal season. Koku isn't getting this right. 
Yeah, without doubt, there was a, a real concern. And I remember uh, Kutch and I were still living together in the Ramshack and uh, when we got our first win against Norwich and well, it must have been October time. And it, it felt like a real backs against the wall, desperately hanging on to for dear life sort of victory. And it was like, oh, maybe this is a turning point. I think the, the following week we then then lost, went and lost at home. So it, it was, yeah, it was obviously a really desperate start. And I think um, we had a bit of a hangover from the previous season because whilst we came out of lockdown storming and, and looking like putting a, a playoff charge in, then we lost, what, five of the last six games uh, from the previous season yeah. and really sort of fell away. And, and we never never actually recovered from that. And pre-season, maybe too short, not not quite the right intensity. Uh, we didn't start very well at all. The Norwich win kind of papered over the cracks. And I think that came immediately after the Blackburn thrashing that we got handed to us. And I think that's when a lot of alarm bells were ringing for me. I, at the time, I was still backing Koku. And then I think it was, it was the Watford win. We lost at home to Watford. But I thought we put in a decent showing against Watford. So you felt the, the tide might be turning. But then we lost back-to-back home defeats against Barnsley and QPR. And I think that was pretty much it for Philip Koku. Yeah, the Blackburn game... And so on. I mean, three nil down in fifteen minutes at home. I, I think for me that was when I realised, oh my god, we're actually not really very good, aren't we? This is the, like no decent team in the championship gets beaten in that fashion at home, even if it is early in the season. And we were just completely bullied, weren't we? So passive. It was, it was men against boys. That's what it looked like. And that's for me when the alarm bells were ringing that really Koku wasn't getting it right at all yeah it was a archetypal derby performance of this season actually because we we actually started that game quite well I seem to remember the first 15 minutes or so we were we were looking pretty good without creating anything kind of real in terms of chances but then we just absolutely fell apart at the back three goals in yeah about five minutes as you say and then we just never recovered from that and that that happens so often throughout kind of October November we we had spells in games where the first half we looked okay and then we we either scored one goal or, or didn't score any went in either nil nil or one nil and then just fell apart in the second half kind of sat back always conceded kind of last 10 minutes it, it was probably that spell in October that I, I just saw the writing on the wall with Koku I, I think the Huddersfield game was probably the first one where I, I really thought it's, it's not working. So we, I, I seem to remember we, we played quite well first half. We were looking good. We we were messaging each other saying well, it was probably the best half that we've played all season. And then we, we still went and lost 1-0 in the second half. And, and that happened about four games in a row. Some some one alls, some 1-0 defeats. And even when we were playing well, it just wasn't looking good. It, it was almost, though, going back to the Blackburn game, it was a bit of a sliding doors moment. I think Max Bird had a brilliant chance and it, he just mm. he was just really tense, tentative with it and it was cleared away. And I think Blackburn went down the other end, won a throw in, throw went into the box and then we conceded. And then three or four minutes later, as Anton said, we were 3-0 down. Uh, if Max Bird buries that chance, which he should have done, Derby go 1-0 up and then suddenly the confidence comes into the team. And that's that summed up this season for me in a, in a way because we missed a chance and then we fall apart and the confidence just disappeared completely. Um, and whenever Derby were under pressure, we were so brittle this year. And there was a, a really interesting stat about the amount of shots that we conceded this year. I think it was 459, which was sixth in the championship, the sixth best defence in that sense of conceding conceding shots. But we conceded goals every single shot on target. It was infuriating. So And we didn't score. So yeah. we, were, we were so low in the charts of scoring, I think possibly even lowest, that 
you can't afford to be conceding that number of shots, even if it's even if it's say, you know, even if every shot is going in. If you're not scoring, then you're not going to get back into the game. And as you said, there were games where we started well, and Max Bird isn't alone. There was a lot of t- players, Jews that comes into this, who weren't taking. They would be given a chance or a half chance, and they wouldn't take it. They take an extra touch, and then we concede next, and then the confidence is gone. I think with Philip Koku, unlike Wayne Rooney, possibly he did actually have a plan. It didn't obviously work. And I think that's why we often did start games quite well. But if we didn't take that chance, and then we went behind. The conference wasn't there. The team spirit wasn't there. The, the kind of flexibility and tactics wasn't there. And we kind of just got found out. And Koku didn't really know how to fix it. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really good point about the, the philosophy that Koku had. It, it made me much more patient with, with his reign because you could see what he was trying to do. Yes, it didn't work. Um, and it, it just didn't suit the players that we had. But we had a, a philosophy that we were trying to implement he, he was trying to to set us up in in the kind of classic dutch way um which which made us really want him to succeed and and kind of made us all very patient where we haven't got that with rooney and, and i'm sure we'll come on to to rooney a, a little bit more later in the pod but there there isn't as much of a philosophy as we had with koku yeah, so after those first, you know, that, that the run of defeats at the start of the season, it looked like maybe there was a turning point, uh, like a succession of draws, which leads me on to one that I wanted to throw out to, to the three of you. Uh, Forest away in late October, finished one all, but featured for me probably the most frustrating moment of the previous season, which was when Kamal Juzviak had a late winner disallowed. I was absolutely raging when that happened, especially seeing the replay when, was it like Marriott that jumped over the ball or something? Waghorn, I think. Waghorn had jumped over the ball when, uh, you know, very, very questionable. Could have have been awarded on a different day, could have won it on a different day, could have affected our season in in a big way on a different day, but it didn't, stayed one all. Uh, What was for you the moment where you just thought, God, I really wish that hadn't happened. I know there's plenty to choose from. (laughs) Uh, I, I was gonna. That was what I was gonna say. Actually, the, that moment where I thought Juzviak was was so close to being a really good player this yeah. year, and has been really disappointing because you look at his assists and his goals tally, and they've, it's not been good enough. Simply, um, but that Forest game was a real opportunity. I thought for us because we were good. I thought we were really good for 45, 50 minutes, and then um, ten minutes we fell apart, and and it just didn't work for us. Going back though, in terms of the the sort of moment where. Um, where I just really didn't think it was it was going to happen was Sheffield Wednesday. That was that was the point where I was at. Actually, I think we are we're in trouble, but I think we're in real serious trouble here because for thirty minutes I thought we were brilliant, maybe the best thirty minutes um, that we we put together away from home that this season. And then um, as soon as Sheffield Wednesday took the lead, we looked completely clueless, and um, that made me really concerned because we, that was when we had Bielik and everyone seemed to be firing. We just beaten Birmingham four 0 um, and it just brought us back into the relegation mile again. I do think it's easy to... I don't want people to think that we're kind of saying, oh, if just that Jews that goal had gone in, it would have turned the season around. I don't think that's actually the case. It might have put us on the run. It might have delayed the inevitable, but nothing from what we've seen from this team under both Rooney and Koku gives me any confidence that they would have really turned it around just from one moment going our way and we would have gone on and, and ended up finishing in the top half, which is what you're really talking about when we say that. So I think... Yeah, there were a couple of sliding doors moments, but I don't think anything drastic enough to have ultimately changed where we ended up or the, the situation we ended up in. 
Yeah, talking of frustrating moments, though, you mentioned Christian Bielik uh, a second yeah. ago. That, I mean, that's that's got to be up there with most frustrating moments as a fan. It was the only spell of the season where the only we, good player we have. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but like the only, certainly the only month or two where we looked like a dominant force in the league, he was certainly a, a massive part of that. I'm not, I'm not saying it, he was the only part of that, but having seen him come back from injury after such a long time and to see him dominating games again was was so nice to see and for it to just kind of fall apart like it like he did and it was such a a horrifying moment on on tv watching it you heard you heard it um which was pretty pretty brutal and and it it did have a huge impact on on the rest of the season as well we're probably all in agreement in saying that koku going was the right decision wasn't it? I mean, 11 games he lasted this season, lost seven of them, hardly ever scored. We all know what happened there. But the analogy that we've used before is that he was, uh, you know, trying to play chess in a division of hungry, hungry hippos. <laughs> um, I love saying that because he gets a laugh every time. I haven't forgot that one. And, uh, I forgot. and uh, you've also got to remember that for a large part of that season, he was trying to shoehorn Rooney into the team. As well, when was, was he trying to shoehorn Rooney, in or, or was Mel or, Morris trying to? Shoehorn or he was in? having to have Rooney <laughs> shoehorned into the team. When uh, I, I just remember watching games at times of season when Rooney was being carried, when he just was not there physically. Yeah, he's got the touch, but he he, he just wasn't contributing enough. And I don't want to say he's a liability, but he was uh, he was really costing us. And I think when I look back at Akaku, he will probably go on to have a decent coaching career somewhere else I'm sure his methods fundamentally are are sound and they do work in certain situations but you've got to be flexible haven't you you've got to be able to mix it in this division it's a bit of a cliche but he was so rigid in the way he wanted to to do things he just couldn't really get to grips with with the championship at all really did he it's quite a long history of Dutch managers flattering to deceive in English football we think obviously Frank de Boer is the obvious one that lost four claims and was gone um, you know, jury's out on Louis van Gaal at, at Manchester United. Gusenink is the exception. Coman had one good season at Everton, and then and then went away. But every Everton manager appears to go. Um, I think with with Koku, the question mark with Koku was he didn't get a run this season with Christian Bielik in the team, and he did look like he was slow to integrating back in. So maybe that's a criticism, similar to how he didn't integrate Colin Kazim Richards in as quickly as maybe. It should have been done considering the impact he he went on to have. So Koku may have may have achieved more with Bielik, but again, I don't. Similar to my last point, I don't think it's enough of a a what if to kind of let him off the hook. But I will kind of agree with Anton. In contrast, to my last point, the Bielik injury probably is the one sliding doors moment where if he had stayed fit for the rest of the season, we probably would have finished twelfth. We probably would have finished pretty safe. I think. I think he's he made that big bigger an impact. But having seen Rooney fall apart tactically in the last two months. If we had gone through a bad run with Bielik in a team, which is possible, the same thing might have happened. I, th- I think um, the orig- my orig- original reaction to Koku's sacking was I don't think we've given <coughs> I don't think we've given him quite enough time, and I thought like initially I I, I did did sort of defend Koku and think of maybe another, another few games, and perhaps in hindsight that I was I was wrong with that, and I'll certainly hold my hands up on it. Um, but I do think going back to what we said, I remember me and you Kutch agreeing agreeing on this one. I don't understand why Rooney's been given a two-year contract because like, whilst there was a, a, a bit of a bounce in, over the December-January period where Derby picked up some really important results and got some vital points, 
you've seen well for me I've seen enough from from this season to say that like I don't think this this management team is good enough at, at Derby and I think there's big concerns before we go into next season uh, about what's going to happen and it really wouldn't surprise me to see us in the same position and Rooney to be out out of a job and I, I really hope I'm wrong I was wrong last time so why not be wrong again but I can't see it clearly when a team performs as badly as we have this season that's because players have underperformed players that you expect to get to get the job done haven't been good enough um, and I think it's fair to say that's happened for at least half of our, our first choice first team squad this season but you can probably put forward a few candidates for this there's been quite, a few players a few. <laughs> who have just been so disappointing who haven't turned up this year who we expected so much more from and, and they didn't deliver so when you think about <laughs> And it's just bleak question after bleak question. So far, but we'll hopefully talk about some some more cheerful stuff later on. Really? But when you think about who has been the biggest disappointment, the player that you expected so much more from this year that just didn't deliver. I guess for me, I'm probably going to gazump all your answers myself by going first with uh, with Mike Deverick. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this poor guy. I feel sorry for him. I really do because he, he gave up a large part of his life and, and moved to a different country in I a think pandemic for, the, for yeah. the first time in his career in a pandemic. And he looks the real deal on paper. Good age, captain in a decent team, in a decent league. But Gaffer si- knows him. Yeah, it's a cocku signing. This is when it was going to change. He's going to build his own side. But six games, no wins, one clean sheet, and that was against Barrow. <laughs> Basically. This poor guy, he looked completely out of his depth for whatever reason and he's going to live on in Derby County fans' memory as a sort of Raul Albentosa levels of notoriety, really, isn't he? And, so. we, and we didn't deserve that clean sheet against Barrow, did we? There was numerous one-on-ones. Yeah, that we, we should have easily lost that. We yeah. could easily have conceded a couple of goals in that game. I, yeah. I echo your point, Chris. I, I do feel sorry for him to a degree and maybe he's not cut out for English football or maybe he just, it was wrong man, wrong time, wrong place. But... The thing with Tavirik and a few other contenders that we'll come on to, I'm sure, is that we were kind of taking for granted that he could be a solid, dependable, you know, not going to set the world alight, but he will do a job for us, which is exactly what we needed in that position. And he didn't. Yeah, he, he kind of became a bit of a cult hero before he'd even, <laughs> yeah. before he'd even played a game over the <laughs> Dutch summer. Dutch Mike is coming <laughs> to save us. Yeah, <laughs> everyone kind of got swept up in this Dutch Mike uh, enthusiasm <laughs> and it wasn't until he actually played a game where we realised that <laughs> we, we've, we've made a terrible decision. Um, I, I do feel terribly sorry for him because, I mean, he only had, what, five or six games. So, like, was that just... Nerves was it? Was it? Was it just? No like, one else look, was particularly good. Yeah, that no, time no, no one else was particularly good. I mean, he did, he did look out of out of his depth. We we can all agree with that. But like, I don't know how how do you go from being in a, a decent Dutch team and and performing well to to that level? It's it's not that much of a a, a difference in in quality. I would he looked say. small, didn't he? He looked. He didn't look how I expected him to look. Yeah, not as athletic or, or buff. Yeah, like you like were a, playing centre back. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is very tall. <laughs> Just because we're in person now, that sort of back chat. Like Dynamo. <laughs> Tom, I've got one for you. Um, we talked about Tavirik there, sort of covered it, and you may have had him yourself. But does Usviak fall into that category? Signed for over £3 million. And, get, I looked this up last night, signed with a promotion bonus. <laughs> oh, wow. I'll save some money there for a few years. Um didn't say a promotion from which league, crucially. Um, maybe that's in the small print. I don't know. But does he figure 
as a player who hasn't delivered this season. Yeah, without doubt. Um, it's a it's a big transition coming over to England, especially in a pandemic with a new language, new culture, and and obviously the the challenges that everyone has been facing. But um, Newsfax been been very disappointing. Flashes of excellence, like that Swansea performance, the touch and the goal for uh, at Swansea was brilliant. Even the finish against Forest that we mentioned earlier, a, a sign of a really class yeah. player. The assist um, against Birmingham for the fourth. Yeah, yeah, Jason absolutely. Nice yeah, absolutely brilliant, brilliant stuff. And when you see him laying on goals for for Lewandowski at Poland, you're like, oh. This, this, this has pretty good and then you see him in a dark show Gregory, and, you're like, <laughs> and you're like well maybe he's not like and it's yeah incredibly infuriating but I'd, you could go through the Derby 11 or the Derby squad and just like list every single one David Marshall the mistake beat me to it beat me to it yeah, David Marshall's my one yeah um, David Marshall you know he's not the first experienced championship goalkeeper to be displaced by Keller Ruse which is bizarre why does Keller Roos keep displacing experienced championship goalkeepers in the derby team? Did it to Scott Carson, arguably the wrong decision. Did it to David Marshall. And to be honest, David Marshall probably deserved to be dropped. And, but if you're getting dropped for Keller Roos, who is poor at this level... Did it to Ben Hamer, another quality goalkeeper. Let's not go down the Ben Hamer route. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think we David Marshall is a, it comes into the Nathan Byrne category. Nathan Byrne did deliver, which we'll come on to, but... David Marshall, we were expecting a very, very dependable 7 out of 10 goalkeeper who wasn't going to let us down. And he conceded way too many soft goals. He conceded way too, he made too many stupid mistakes. You know, not in a Forest home game. Dropped his ass, and didn't he? That was awful. Yeah, I know he got injured doing it, but I think his mistake led to the injury rather than the injury leading to the mistake. Um, yeah, David Marshall was a huge disappointment. Absolutely huge disappointment because we're now stuck with two very poor goalkeepers. Yes, so many, so many big contenders for this one. But I, I actually think um, another name which we haven't mentioned probably tops it for me, and that's Martin Waghorn, um, who we've seen have some great times in in a Derbyshire and with other clubs as well. And given the fact that we've been crying out for a striker this season, that's been probably the one area where we just haven't had any depth. It was it was a perfect opportunity for him Nailed to step down. up. Yeah. And and really really nail down that number nine position, link up with some of the new wingers that are coming in, and and kind of hit fifteen goals. But he's been so disappointing um, that he he hasn't been able to even find a place in the team, whether that's in the number nine position or out wide. We saw what he can do on the final day, and and like brilliant that he did turn up for for the most important game of the season but if it so had turned up for the rest of the season then we wouldn't have exactly yeah. so, so disappointing that yeah. he just didn't turn I've, up for the rest I've got one more name which I think deserves the most mitigation and most kind of leeway and that's Max Bird I think you think how he finished like, I know he hit the last few games of last season he did go a little bit off the ball but in that period straight after lockdown when him and him and Rooney were kind of playing together Max Bird there's, there's a really really good player in Max Bird and that's why I'm kind of reluctant to kind of criticise him as vocally on, on things like Twitter like other, other fans do but he has been super poor he's lost his identity I think he's had an identity crisis I think a lot of the young players under Rooney actually have gone backwards um, it is a very volatile difficult environment um, so I do believe he deserves some leeway but it, I really thought Max Burr was going to kick on this season and it, and it just hasn't happened but it ha- Buchanan's probably been the most impressive of the young players but Bird and Sibley have both just kind of stalled or gone backwards Last one. We could do this for the whole team. <laughs> yeah, we could. Yeah. Have, you got, have you got an 11 yet? <laughs> um, for me, a player who was a fan's favourite, who we talked about previously in player of the year terms, who ended up leaving under a real cloud this season, that's Dwayne Holmes. Mm. Yeah. Um, partly because he did fall out with Rooney 
and our memories of him have been completely tainted given what he came out with when he joined Huddersfield and said that he'd been angling for a move for a number of weeks but he was one of the players and we're going to come on to this who Rooney like called out specifically saying you're not doing enough and when a manager does that Tom you know that you, you know that 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 it's poor that there's problems so was was Dwayne Holmes a player that you had hoped for more from this season yeah definitely uh really disappointing and Raghorn was another one who was called out for the, the poor attitude in training so it's clearly like just not one player who's who's having that issue it's it's a number um home since he had fantastic last season wasn't he and scored some great goals and was re- a real linchpin of the side uh after his injury he never quite recovered the same sort of dynamism in the midfield and this season was really disappointing and as you say I think an under 23s game against uh, Huddersfield he obviously put the put the word out in there and there's been a whole raft of players at the club this year who are experienced pros and I'm going to put Craig Forsyth in there and the most frustrating one for me of all of these is actually Andre Wisdom <laughs> so we, we've definitely named our team <laughs> yeah but Andre Wisdom one week phenomenal the next week falls over the ball by treading on it and we concede a goal like I mean how can you justify that as you're a professional footballer I don't don't see that on my Saturday team when someone treads on the ball like what what happens and the, but then the following week he's 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 outstanding I, I, th- I think so Wiz is a, a little bit harsh compared to the others I would say I would, I'd say yeah. the others are, are much scored the most important goal of the season well yeah I was going to come on to that bit later on but I'm not saying that Wisdom was the the worst player this season and what I'm saying is that we know how capable he is and one one game he'll be man the match 10 out of 10 doing something vitally important for the team and then the next week you're like right excellent we've got a solid back line we've got Clark back in and Wisdom and then Wisdom will tread on the ball and make a horrendous error and you can't legis- keep legislating for individual errors. And he he was a player that I kept seeing that time and time again. It's not consistent enough. More from us on Steve Bloomer's washing in a second. But don't forget, you can give us a follow on social. We are uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Steve Bloomer's washing and Twitter at Steve Bloomer pod. And uh, subscribe while you're there. Hit follow or subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts soundcloud or spotify to get the latest episode first we've got loads coming up next season and loads after the break hi i'm paulo Wanchop, and you're listening to steve bloomer's washing ravenelli now christie a really positive response here by derby bottier with the cross it's ravenelli yes his first league goal since the turn of the year and derby are back in front you'd have to say boys looking back that the Rooney bounce that did come in the the upturn of form that we did have once he settled and once we sorted out that nonsense with four interim coaches or whatever was basically the period that that kept us up really we got 44 points this season and virtually half of them 21 came between the end of December and the end of February that period kept us in the in the division so do you, you do have to give Rooney credit for that turnaround and I remember thinking about now, one of the things I remember is saying we, we were gone. When we had those two games where we drew with Wickham and drew with Coventry, I just thought, if we're not good enough to beat those teams, fair play to Coventry, they climbed well away from safety. But Wickham, Almost especially... us. Yeah, and, and that we couldn't put those two teams away. I thought that was definitely us down. Um, so, yeah, you do have to give Rooney credit for getting us the points on the board that kept us up. But he won't be remembered for that, will he? No, I, I mean, I, I think we were all in the same boat about being very sceptical about the appointment of Rooney. We we all said it needs an experienced head in there for a relegation fight. It, it, it wasn't the right man for the job. But we we're all also in agreement that 
we were very impressed about yeah. his first couple of months. He he did the basics right. He got us playing decent, okay football, just direct football, scoring a few goals again, doing the defending, um, kind of the basics of defending very well, and it it led to us picking up points because because we have a team that shouldn't have been in that position. Let's be honest. We we had a team that was good enough to pick up points, and that's all Rooney did. Um, where Rooney kind of fell down was, was kind of taking it to the next level. So he, he was man, managed to pick pick up the basics, but um, after that, it, it was when it fell away. But do you think it was just a case that once that style of going back to basics, being physical, that we just got what found out a bit a bit later on in in that spell under Rooney, or what what was it? Yeah, a little bit, but that it did coincide with Christian Bieler getting injured. Which is why you, you could call it the Wayne Rooney bounce, or you could call it the Christian Bielet bounce. I mean, that's a it's little hard bit to tell, isn't it? It is hard to tell. You'll never know it. It's a little bit harsh on Rooney because Rooney's still got to pick the team. He's still got to put the right players around Bielet to get the best out of him, which he definitely did. Also, the, the other really important part of that spell was was uh, Colin Cousin Richards. That was when he had his best impact. The, the the players and Eric Steele has spoken about this quite a lot in BBC Derby. The players were they knew how to get the best out of CKR. CKR was was uh, staying a bit much further forward much higher up the pitch occupying the centre backs and they were playing off him um, and, and, he, and he was coming back sorry as well and linking the play and he's been doing a bit less of that recently so the, the core of Bielik and uh, Colin Cousin Richards was the thing that really uh, ignited the season for Derby and under Rooney and, and Rooney had, should get praise for building the right team around them to get the best out of the, that that formula but Jason, he had, Jason Knight was, was and sensational Jason, yeah. Jason Knight and Jason Knight was already sensational kind of in the lead up to that period he was always when he was getting played in the middle he was already having an impact and he was probably the best player in the team at that time but we said when and, and Anton's right we were all skeptical about Rooney we all gave him a lot of praise and were very surprised when he, when he had that man, that kind of bounce at the beginning of his reign however he also um, we also said that the question mark for any new manager is when things go wrong can you turn it around and he hasn't turned it around it was um, it's about 3.36 on, on Saturday January the 30th which for me was the moment when our, our season changed significantly for the worst <laughs> Where were you when it happened? It was just an innocuous passage of play. I reckon play, I was it? probably in my lounge. <laughs> <laughs> it was just an innocuous passage of play, wasn't it, against Bristol City at home in a game we went on to win, but then just a, an agonising scream from, from the far side. Bielik goes down um, and he wouldn't play a minute more of football again for the season. To, but to put it into perspective, how important this guy was for us. We were, we were winning basically every other game with Bielik in the team he, he had uh, he played 13 games we won six of them he was just making us tick he, wasn't he he had such a better shape or, or we had such a better shape to our team with, with him in it uh, so much more balance I mean he won man of the match four times in the 13 games that he played so you know at that record he would have won man of the match about 15 times in one season which is ridiculous and you'd have to say he was confident he was strong he got a couple of goals and we just never really recovered from losing him. Well, he's just that all-round, he's that all-round player, isn't he? But he kind of glues it. He's like a glue player, but a very, very good glue player. Like he's got all about him. He can win the ball, he can pass it, he can burst out, he can break the lines. He's a threat in the opposition box. He's a good defender in, in our own box. And he just, he brought a level of class to the team that we probably hadn't seen for two years. Um, he, he was better in that period than he was in his third, first period, sorry, before his, before his, his first injury. Um, 
and yeah, he just he just transformed that team, and and he brought more out of the players around him by because he just plays the ball in the right way. He's got a good pace on the ball. He's got a good you know good weight on the ball. It's just it's a different level. Maybe he just looked really good in a really crap team, but for me, he would walk into the mid- a fit Bielek would walk into any midfield in the championship. The the really impressive thing about Bielek and how he brought brought this team together was that from the nil-nil draw against Stoke, we kept six clean sheets in nine. A clean sheet, six of them in nine games. It's mental how how good that that was and how solid we were were being in that time. The goals we conceded were at 95th minute to Preston, Sheffield Wednesday, the scrappy one, and then the Rotherham uh, Rotherham at home game. So all of those were were, were tight games that we we lost one nil. Um, but in the rest of that, that, the other the other six games in that nine game spell, we were keeping clean sheets, and therefore when you keep clean sheets, you pick up points, and that was the simple thing that we were doing. And as you say, going back to basics, it worked. Keep it tight at the back, dangerous from set pieces, and we scored goals from the set pieces. And if we keep it tight at the back, which we didn't do from that point, from from when we lost to uh, lost to Rotherham on the third uh, of February, I think we kept two clean sheets for the rest of the season. And whether that's for individual errors or lack of shape, something went massively wrong from February at the back, um, and we just kept conceding goals. And when you concede goals, obviously you don't pick up points. Shortly after Bielik's injury, though, uh, there was that three 0 defeat at Rotherham. That was a real low point, wasn't it? And the the one off episode, if you remember, of uh, World's Loudest Man featuring Rotherham's owner. But after that. Back-to-back wins, including this moment. Left-footed, swings it. Off the post, anyone? Yes! yes! It's Wisdom! And Derby have won it in stoppage time! Andre Wisdom on the rebound! And Derby have stolen the points! 93 minutes on the watch. It's Wickham 1, Derby 2. Yeah, the, the injury time mugging of, uh, of Wickham away not really enjoyed in a way that we would have done because we'd have definitely gone to that if we could have done but as it as it stood I had to watch it on my P, on my pc monitor in a in my spare room um of andre wisdom sort of bungling it in for about seven yards out was that probably anton one of the rare moments of joy in this in the season it was yeah well, i mean wickham was actually one of the games that we highlighted at the yeah. start of the season that oh maybe we'll be able to go to that game uh, eventually by the time um, restrictions but, are eased but, yeah away. by the time restrictions are eased obviously it didn't turn out that way but um yeah not quite the same watching it from home but one of the few moments that actually got you up with your seat as a derby fan which is what we all watch football for um it was completely undeserved i seem to remember that that performance but what a crucial win as well like if you look back at the table now i mean you could say that about a lot of games but getting those three points wickham only finished a point behind us in the end it, it's funny because um like talking about going back to kind of fans experience like the undeserved victories are often the most satisfying aren't they but i actually don't feel like that would be the same. That actually doesn't feel like the same to me as like undeserved survival. Like undeserved survival sounds seems pretty depressing to me. Like, and I do, while I do not feel sorry for Rotherham, I do actually have some uh, feelings of sorrow for Sheffield Wednesday and and for Wickham Wanderers more so. But with, like, winning a game in the last minute, you don't undeservedly that you don't. Okay, care. I guess you it has care. it has fewer longer term consequences. <laughs> yeah. Whereas undeserved survival is you, you you haven't deserved something over a very long period of time. Yeah, yeah. And you feel less good about that. 
it felt massively important that that goal because um because of the Bielik injury and because of the fact that we we hadn't really sort of been particularly good all season and then we picked up a vital win against Middlesbrough thanks to a, a wonder strike from Cousin Richards and then a really poor performance against Wickham when Wickham really really ran us ragged uh, at times and that, that last minute goal it just felt like it just eased a lot of pressure and I at that point was the first time I was like okay I don't think we're going to get relegated or be in danger I think we should be have enough to pick up the points you see the fixtures that we've got coming up you've got Huddersfield you have Luton you've got Birmingham City we've got Sheffield Wednesday as well like we should be absolutely fine um at that point and that was maybe the point that I relaxed as a fan is in yeah I feel that we can we can quite comfortably get out of this and how wrong you wrong I was and also how fortunate we are that Andre Wisdom was there just to bury his first derby goal in the the 93rd minute I I think it also felt so big because that had happened to us so many times throughout this season and it it has since as well conceding last minute or certainly in the last 10 minutes to to drop points in that kind of situation it just felt like a like ongoing record that it was always going to happen to us and I wouldn't have been surprised had Wickham scored that last minute winner that was probably the only time that we scored a last minute yeah. Winner or equaliser in the whole season. Yeah, and we hadn't, we had, we were so bad at beating teams around us, and we were dropping so many points, like those, those back-to-back draws with what was it, Coventry and, um, and, Wickham. and Wickham earlier on in the season. Yeah, exactly. Like when we weren't beating teams around us, and any any points we pick up against, you know, if we'd picked up any points against Rotherham or any points, point more points against Sheffield Wednesday or more points against Coventry and Birmingham City, like we wouldn't have been in the position we were in because we would have dragged them in or got them further away from us and ourselves just had more points. So it was huge to win. But like like with all the almost all of the good moments this season, we didn't kick on from it. And again, that goes back to bigger structural problems, bigger problems with the management. Everyone's been crap this season. Yeah, and the the thing that we didn't kick on from there, like we, we played them well against Watford uh, on the Friday night and we're, we were unfortunate to lose 2-1. Um, and Cousin Richard had a, a good goal which was disallowed we then picked up a, a good win against Huddersfield and then the draw against uh, Forest, where we were extremely fortunate in that draw the the real game where I, I then returned my, my period of worry was when we played Cardiff because my god that was shambolic from start to finish everything the, about it yeah. Edmondson defensive midfield what on earth are you thinking like Banajim in the, in the midfield and he has only played a handful of times for Derby, but has done nothing nothing to make me think that he's a championship player. Like we were awful all over the park that night. And it was that that hammering and the manner of that hammering that goes, Okay, we've got a bit of an issue. And then from that point, we basically just got we didn't score any goals. And we went back to being the, the Derby County from the first eight or nine games on the Koku. Uh, and Rooney didn't know how to get us out of it. Yeah, we didn't score many goals, as you said, but some of the ones we did score we're, we're okay. right. We're okay. We're, weren't too bad. <laughs> we, we've alluded to some of them already, but I've got five for you. Five contenders. I mean, that's basically like a sixth of our total goals this season. I was going to say, I don't remember five goals, Chris. <laughs> um, goal of the season then. Um, these are the contenders that I've picked out. Feel free to chip in with any others. But the Rooney free kick against Norwich. The uh, CKR against Middlesbrough at home. CKR against... Forest at home seems a no-brainer. Louis Sibley against Brentford. Anyone? I'm chucking that in there. And the uh, Tom Lawrence thronker against Reading. He loves away. it against Reading. Loves he does. And um, we've seen some of them in the flesh. I'm going to say for me, I do just keep coming back to to CKR against Forest. I, I just love the way he just picked off that 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 volley on on the fall and and sort of dipped it into the far corner. Like brilliant strike. So that's what wins it for me. What about you guys? 
so uh, to throw a couple of more out there just to um get some other options um the the Wycorn free kick against Forest uh, always good in off the bar um, so that was definitely a contender Dwayne Holmes against Wickham um, the, the little Cruyff after a really nice move oh, yeah. on the right hand side one of the only good moves that we've had that's, that, that's led to a, an open play goal like really nicely worked on the right hand side Lawrence whips it in and, and Holmes kind of Cruyffs it Cruyffs it and that, that was a, a slightly left field one but I think my favourite it's between the two CKR ones I think the best goal out of those two and I think I've, I've said this on the pod previously is the the Middlesbrough one although I I enjoyed the Forest one more because of the situation the the Middlesbrough goal it just not seen a Derby player hit the ball <laughs> yeah. that hard and in off the bar as well always makes it better yeah so I, I yeah I think out of those two is a better goal we debated this at the time didn't we because it happened in quick succession it was, a, it, was yeah. a better, it was a better goal than the Forest one but the Forest one was more important I think the Tom Lawrence one technically is probably the best goal. Yeah. Um, but I'd also chuck another one into the mix. If you're going to chuck Louis Sibley in there, I think Pat Roberts' last day of the season it was a great finish. I know yeah, that the goalkeeping great. was questionable, Tom, but the Patrick Roberts goal, I thought, well, one, it was flipping important, uh, but it was just very composed. And it's what, again, if you go back to disappointing players, why didn't, we, why didn't we see more of that from Patrick Roberts during the season? Like, he's got the quality. That was a really good finish. It was a nice team move. It was CKR and Wagon connecting. Uh, we didn't see enough of that during the season and and Patrick Roberts finished it but I would say technically I'd say Tom Lawrence is the best girl yeah I'm, I'm going to chuck another one into the mix <laughs> <laughs> well we had a great season <laughs> this is now all of our goals <laughs> yeah. uh, usually act against Swansea what a touch and then the finish like, the keeper didn't yeah. move did he just touch falls over uh, yeah touch and bang and the, the, the pass from Waghorn to uh, Yuzviak wasn't very good but the way that Yuzviak brought it down and then then opened the space up to absolutely hammer the ball home was a, was a great strike but going back to the best goal it's without doubt between two for me Kazan Richards against Middlesbrough or Tom Lawrence um, I understand why you've gone for the Kazan Richards against Forest because of the importance but I think overall Kazan Richards will get the nod uh, for me for goal of the season very very slightly over Tom Lawrence um, partly maybe because it got us three points whereas yeah. Tom Lawrence was, was irrelevant and that might be the uh, the settler for the, for that one and, and, and also with Tom Lawrence he probably tried about 50 yes. of them over the course of the season so in, what, in seven what, games. What, one was bound to come off eventually knowing um, that one of them would fly in and it would look amazing yeah which, which it did which it did yeah. just to chuck just chuck a very last random joker question in here um, if Tom Lawrence had been fit all season how many more goals would we have scored three because <laughs> three what's the percentage 50 shots on goal in seven games and he's scored no. one yeah but his assist is assist to Martin Waghorn no, that great, great ball in. great ball in. I, I do think we look much better team with Tom Lawrence in in that attacking when, lineup. When he fancies it, and that's key. When when he's up for but it, but he fancies. I think he fancies it enough that it would have made enough of a difference. We've had some horrendous injuries this season. When you think about key players, and you think about like Bielik is the obvious one we've talked about, but um, even Curtis Davis, who was bringing the side together and leading from experience and and his know how, and then Lawrence has been out for so long. Waghorn didn't start the season, so he didn't have a um, have like a proper preseason or anything like that. The, the list the list goes. Well, let's on. let's be honest. If you think about the impact that Patrick Roberts and Kamal Juzek have had Pat, Tom Lawrence would have been an upgrade on both of those throughout the whole season we talked about CKR there and um, Patrick Roberts and some of the players who scored decent goals this season but in terms of overall contribution if, <laughs> I mean is it really something to celebrate winning player of the year in, in this season of all seasons but 
I, I did notice the club haven't even really put the vote out yet on on, on Twitter. The, the club, I, I think they're trying to not make Player of the Year happen this season. They, they got other things in their mind. Other things in their well, mind. Well, that's true. That's true. They can't that's... give it to the fans like they did in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. So they're absolutely screwed, aren't they? There's no one. I think Colin Gibson might win it this year. <laughs> um, <laughs> but who who are the contenders? I would say for me. Yeah, not not many big ones. I honestly thought about giving it to Christian Bielik just for playing 13 games and being great. But and keeping us up. I couldn't quite bring myself to do it. CKR, obviously great for, for a period as well, but I did feel that he did tail off towards the end of the season. Not his fault. He was being asked to play a hell of a lot of football. He's 83 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's around the Zimmer frame for the last couple of games of the season, although he is younger than me. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's Nathan Byrne. Um, a, a really solid professional, a really good athlete, got up and down basically every game. Yeah, he he made defensive mistakes, but who in our who in the club didn't this season? And I think yeah, he got what, a handful of assists, maybe like five or six assists. But I just really like the way he plays. I really enjoy watching him. I really enjoy his attitude. I'll be honest, I haven't looked at his stats really, how key he has been defensively. But um, but for me, for me, for me, it's Burn and what a signing has been. Yeah, I mean, hundred percent agree. Um, Nathan Byrne is is definitely my player of the season. Defensively, he's, he's been solid, but it's really been the attacking play that he's brought to this team, where where we've seen the biggest impact. I, th- I think it was top of chances created um, from right back, and we just looked a much worse team without him bombing on on that right hand side. He linked up really well with Yuzviak actually when when Yuzviak was playing right wing, um, and he just provided the outlet. It's so athletic, so quick. Um, and it's far clearer of anyone else. You know? I think. I think. There's, apart from you know, bearing in mind Christian Bielek is currently injured, there there is a question mark over every single current player in the team's position, apart from him. For me, for going into the next season, like he's the, he's, he's the, the only first name on the he's team the sheet. only first name on the team sheet. Again, Graham taking Shinney, out yeah. the fact that Christian Bielek's injured. Yeah, great. Yeah, Graham Shinny. I think you, you could upgrade him. Obviously, not a priority to upgrade at all, considering the position we're in. So, I think Shinny and and maybe Jason Knight, but I think. Burn is definitely the one. If I, if we were to get, if we were to get relegated, for example, for a point deduction, which I don't think will happen, Burn would be the one that I'd expect to, be, to get most calls about. You know, he he is a ready-made uh, top eight at least championship right back. Well, that's how we ended up buying him from Wigan in the first place, isn't yes. it? So yeah. that's what I imagine. He chooses we... really badly which clubs he goes to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you think about this season, then we've had a few days to uh, to absorb it, to digest it, to think about what we've witnessed. How would you sum up the 2020-21 campaign for Derby County in three words? We do this quite often on our, on our Twitter, but I'm taking it from five to three. Tom, you can have first dibs. Mortifying, embarrassing, and then angry. Good. That's Next. how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was. Um, I thought a lot about this, and obviously they're all negative, but I sort of said relentless just because we condensed a regular season into you know from what 10 months to 8 months or whatever it was the, the Saturday Tuesday Saturday Tuesday it was just it was brutal wasn't it there was quite a few times when I just thought I'm really not up for this and that's why I also said challenging because this season has really challenged my relationship with our club and with football in previous years and on a Sunday I normally sort of stick Super, Super Sunday on watch watch those games but I've just got no interest now like Man United Liverpool the other night I didn't even bother watching it and I just feel it's a good sad. game actually Chris. <laughs> you missed yeah. out there Chris yeah. I'll watch the highlights later but <laughs> I 
I feel like my relationship with football has changed because of what we've been through. And that's why I said that as well. Obviously, relief. Relief that we made it. Relief that we stayed up by the skin of our teeth. Relief that we're all still friends. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Because we haven't seen each other. (laughs) That we made it through together and that we've still got a club in the championship for now. Yeah, I I think the first word that sprung to mind was forgettable because we we we're not really? gonna, we, we're not wow. going to look back on this season with, not. with, with um, many memories. Um, survival is obviously a big one from this season, but I, I think if we look back at this season in a few years, the main thing that we're going to look back on it is the repeated failed takeovers. That's that's the thing that's going to have the lasting impact on on this team and on this club as a whole. Hopefully, things kind of move forward a little bit more and and things progress more positively than they had and we can look back at this season and laugh about it in in some ways that we nearly sold our club to a 29 year old Spanish boxer with with no money in his account (laughs) and we nearly sold this club to someone who even Mike Ashley wouldn't get into into bed with and and that that is really defined and I bet Mike Ashley has been in bed with some interesting creatures in his his time I mean I mean I I will take a couple of your kind of uh, points on a little bit further you know hapless on and off the pitch embarrassing on and off the pitch and to repeat Chris's sentiment never ending like I'm so relieved that it this season is over for the reasons you talked about regarding football being a bit soulless and, and it is cliche alert nothing about the fans that is really have has been proven and and as as uh, Anton said you know never ending in relation to the ongoing off-field sagas around the club I guess it made me realize that one of the reasons I watch football as a neutral is to see what the away end is like when someone scores yes <laughs> and without that existing I'm just like oh well, this isn't great is it the question I'm sure that's on everybody's lips 2007 2008 2020 2021 what was worse the, I think this was worse yeah I think this was worse because we knew so early on that 078 was an absolute an absolute bust we knew we were down by November if I'm being generous and from like I know I was thinking about this earlier actually it's, it's, it's glad you mentioned I'm glad you mentioned it but when like Jewel came in there was like two or three really frustrating results where we lost in the in the last minute and we were like okay yeah he's not turning it around we're, we're, we're done we're completely done for so we when we first met and we had those away days at West Ham and Blackburn it was a good laugh it was a good day out wasn't it it was funny I mean it, it obviously helped us being able to go to games that's, that's yeah. a, a massive part of it but but because there was such low expectation we could just have fun with it towards, I, especially towards I generally do and I did have a season ticket that year and went to the vast majority of away games that, that, that season and I do have more good memories than bad memories because that when we were getting tanked was it like six or five one at Tottenham or six or five nil at Tottenham they all they all all those tanking kind of merge into one for me particularly but like there was a moment in in White Hart Lane and we talked about this before in the pod where I think we we were singing we are Derby Super Derby and the fifth goal went in we've been singing it for twenty minutes didn't and, stop and it yeah. no one, it we just continued yeah and I was yeah. like stood there crying because it was like <laughs> it was so emotional and so yeah. it felt like we were actually part of something it was we were part of something crap but we were proud of what the thing we were uh, supporting. I have no pride in Derby County at the moment, add in the fact we have empty stadiums and it's just been a a never-ending soulless experience. I think the, um, the, there's a video on YouTube, at, I think it's at Derby at Arsenal rather than yeah, Spurs. Yeah, I was thinking but, Emirates. But yeah, exactly what you're saying. There was so much like togetherness and like it was a real sort of siege mentality and we'll just go and enjoy and pretending to score goals and stuff. Whereas this, this season has been, as you say, Chris, earlier, like relentless. It's been 
Sunday, Tuesday, or Saturday, Tuesday, and then it's like, I haven't even got over the last result. I don't even want to consider watching us play again because it is, it's been it's been appalling. Like the football has been appalling this year, um, and I've I've definitely lost a lot of love for football as as a whole. And I I really can't wait for the Euros to happen. And hopefully, fingers crossed, touch words, every single thing that I can. Hopefully, the England Croatia tickets I've currently got will will actually get. It's it's not quite the same when you pretend to score a goal on your own in the living room <laughs> <laughs> or do the bounce. <laughs> Who'd have thought that? this season review would turn into an 078 nostalgia <laughs> I did not see that coming I am wearing my 0708 shirt you are you are hi there we county fans I'm Branko Struper and you are listening to Steve Bloomer's washing the wait is finally over after six long dry months our friends at Derby Brewing Company have finally burst open their doors to welcome you all back from this week, they've got new menus, cellars full of fresh beers, and of course, a friendly, safe welcome. Pay them a visit at The Tap, The Greyhound, The Hole in the Wall in Micklover, The Pig in Litchfield, or their brand spanking new pub, The Middle Bell in Barton under Needwood. Roll on June 21st. This is Gregory, bounced off Chasm Richards. Oh, it's Chasm Richards! Oh, what a hit! from Colin Kazim Richards. Derby, level in the Derby. Well, we couldn't really wrap up this season without acknowledging the events of the last few days. We've, we've spoken enough about the season that, that we've just witnessed. Let's put that to bed. Um, what happens next though, boys? Because the takeover is up in the air again. We've probably said adios to, uh, to Eric, the shameless Spaniard. But on the flip side... The EFL have won the latest round of that legal battle. We're now looking at, in the best case, a big fine next season, possibly a points deduction next season, or worst case, a points deduction this season, which would relegate us, although I don't think that's going to happen. This is by far and away the most uncertain period in our recent history, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is completely the most uncertain period. And even if it is unlikely that we'll have a points deduction applied this season, which would relegate us... Um, even if that is unlikely, the fact that we're in this situation and we probably have only got away with it in regards to it not being applied this season because of EFL incompetence, big things like Millsborough delaying, actually delaying uh, the action. You know, this should have been, whatever happens, This what we probably should have been deducted points this season. Now, the fact it's come this late in the day means it probably won't be, but we've got away with it if, if that is the case. So that that that's all on Mel Morris. That's all on the way that he's run the club for the past, what, five years or so. Um, and it's all come home to roost. And yeah, we've all on this podcast, you know, on Twitter, etc., have celebrated the idea when 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 we've kind of won, won things over the EFL, we've made mugs out of the EFL. We've all celebrated that. And, and to be honest, I think, fair enough, that's what, that, that's what football fans do. The football fans celebrate when they see them winning, whether it's on or off the pitch. But let's be honest, right now, Derby County is very much losing both on and off the pitch. And it's right that fans call it out. And it's right that Mel Morris is, that's where the blame lies. And... I'd like to think he has the motivation to fix it in the best way possible for Derby County. Now, we don't know what his own situation is. Maybe he's desperate for the cash. If he's desperate for the cash, then Derby's definitely in a big problem because he's the one that kind of holds our destiny in his hands. If he can fund the club in a sensible way while we find the right owners, then I think Derby's got a chance to get out of this. But by the fact he's been talking to Eric Alonso, who to most people was obviously a charlatan from the beginning, 
or the, the Bin Zayed, um, which never materialised, and there was warning signs about him. He seems more legitimate, in my opinion, than Eric Alonso ever did. To me, it looks like Mel Morris is absolutely desperate to sell to the, the, someone that can stump up five million quid, and that's that's worrying because that tells to me that he's desperate to get out. And the reason he'd be desperate to get out is because he's he's got his own problems to sort out. We've got to talk about the house, haven't we? <laughs> We're going to talk about the house. Come on. It's a good house. It, it is a good house. For, for anyone who didn't see it, and that can't be anyone because it was absolute. well, I say everywhere, it was all over Twitter. It was one of the great days on Twitter when this happened. Eric, it starts with Eric Alonso tweeting a relatively harmless video, a, a panoramic sweeping shot of a very nice luxury apartment until someone chimes in. I say someone... Uh, the some great detective work from uh, James Ware at the 11 points one win Twitter account who pointed out that the video wasn't his the house wasn't his even the it, soundtrack wasn't his the soundtrack wasn't his it was a video of a completely random house in LA from an LA estate agent's TikTok TikTok account so off the back of this I thought I'd get involved I thought this this is fun <laughs> I want to get in, I want to get mixed on this so I just happened to um, I thought I'd reach out to the actual person who filmed that the LA estate agent uh, I got in touch with him and said you know look do you know this guy just I just wanted to give Alonso the benefit of the doubt just I know it's ridiculous but just on well, the you're one, a journalist, Chris. On, on the 1% chance that they did actually know each other maybe it's his Airbnb maybe they're friends maybe he knows someone and he stayed there I don't know I just thought I'd I'd, I'd, I'd you know I'd, I'd reach out and see what the situation was but unsurprisingly the estate agent came back and said I've never heard of him I've no idea why he's used that video on his own account and the house is very much still up for sale for $42 million. That, that just sort of sums up how much of a complete fraudster Eric Alonso is, doesn't I, it? I don't know what you're talking about. That sounds like proof of funds. If he's got £42 million <laughs> to spend on the house, he's got £42 million to spend on Derby County and £42 million to spend on marquee signings to what, get us in the Champions what, League. One sounds- of the best things that someone applied to on Twitter was someone who said... Do you think when he bought that house, he used a video of Pride Park as proof? That- <laughs> well, yeah, but that—that's kind. That actually is kind of it, isn't it? That's how this charlatan thought he could. He there's a reason he posted that. He posted that purely because he he was seeing lots of people question whether he had funds. He was seeing lots of people question whether he had any money whatsoever. And he thought the way around that, rather than proving to the EFL that he has got funds, he thought the way around that was to to tweet a picture of. Of, yeah, tweet a video of this of this lavish house to prove to people like us, Derby County fans, that he was a man of great means. Simon Jordan bought it for the last couple of weeks. Simon Jordan was on Talksport with Jim White saying, "Oh no, I've been told by football people that you know Eric Alonso is a man of, of great means." By football people, that he's a man of great means. What do either of those phrases mean? Well, and also, <laughs> does that mean that Simon Jordan has been suckered into these fake LinkedIn accounts that Simon that uh, Eric Alonso has been setting up and messaging people? I, I honestly think. It, it's a uh, let's let's take the positive spin on this fair play to a number of people we we obviously questioned to a certain degree we also tried to give eric Alonso the benefit of doubt a couple of weeks ago when it when it was tri- materializing the questions were being asked fair play to ollie at derby county blog for kind of banging the drum and keeping it going on, on kind of scrutiny on him I, the name escapes me but the uh, the sheffield wednesday fan who have kind of been on alonzo's case for the last uh, six months to a year there's lots of people who have been raising the alarm and and lots of derby fans who i said at the time a few weeks ago you know it's it's fine to give this guy a chance to prove himself lots of derby fans were, were in, wanted him to have a chance and in some ways we all wanted him to actually be the savior that we all hoped he could be 
he wasn't. He's a, he's a con artist, and it's embarrassing that Mel Morris appears to have been the last person to have seen it, and that's what worries me, is that he was so desperate to sell, he was, he was happy to offload it to this bloke. Hopefully that is the last we hear from Eric Alonso, but there's never anything that's, that's cast, a cast-iron guarantee in the world of Derby County. But meanwhile, 24 hours later, or around the same time, Tom and Anton, the EFL win their appeal in part of their dispute with Derby over our accounting, sorry, accounting practices. And, well, who knows what's going to happen, but we've been found guilty and it could be some sort of fine, could be a points deduction. Depending on what happens with the future of the club, it could be administration, which is an automatic 12-point penalty, on top of a possible EFL points penalty. So it seems more and more likely we're going to have some sort of enormous punishment levelled against us next season. And we may be under embargo as well. We may not be able to bring that many people in. So if we're working with roughly the current same squad, but we have some sort of points deduction, how many points deducted do you think we can get away with and still make a decent fist of staying up in the championship next season? I mean... To be honest, before I answer that, like the whole situation is completely shambolic of of the EFL. I mean, the the fact that it's gone on for this long, and I mean, touched touched upon it earlier, the the delays that's happened, the fact that we got it all signed off by the EFL before we carried this out. I'm not saying it was it was. It, I mean, it was quite dodgy of what we were doing in the first place. I'm I'm not saying that that was a good way to go about things, especially with the amortization policy. But the fact that the EFL signed it off and then we won we won the case and the the fact that it's come back with the in, independent appeal is is all shambolic and it, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. However, from a points deduction perspective, with the current management team and with the current squad anything over six points uh, I think that's too much well, two minutes. one point that's what's going to screw us any any point deduction next season I can see us really struggling because um, I, I have very little faith in some of the players that are in, in this squad I also think that some of the, the more experienced players are out of contract and if we have financial issues are we going to offer them new contracts and if we don't then we need to replace them somehow and then if we have to replace them are we going to have to bring in the type of player that we brought in in January who let's face it quite likes Patrick Roberts I think he's a talented player Lee Gregory chipped in with some handy goals but Edmondson and Benajim were, were nowhere near, near good enough and actually Gregory in a long term option is nowhere near good enough as well for for uh, what, we, what we're what we looking for so I'm, I'm really concerned that any points deduction next season is going to be catastrophic to the club um, I actually think that the uh, statement that Derby put out they said that the um, league arbitration panel found us guilty of one of the three appeals that the EFL gave to us uh, and they said that it was found guilty in rejecting the evidence of Professor Pope that it was impermissible in principle under the cost model for the club uh, to take into account possible resale values of players in relation to 2015 to 18. Now I have no idea what that actually means but basically I'm looking at the fact that only one of the appeals was successful I'm hoping for a fine and no points deduction. The the fact that we we kind of we kind of got away with amortization for a bit, we're going to get a fine for that. The problem is is that the effect of getting away with amortization and then correcting the accounts is going to lead to massive FFP breach and going to lead to 
quite a significant points deduction. That's why I think it will be next season. Going back to your original question, Chris, regarding um, a points deduction, when you first, when you kind of sent around the, the kind of running order for this and that question was in there, I, I thought about it with a bit more optimism. I mean, we might have a couple of signings. We might have a half-decent squad, a decent summer. And so I was happy to say we, we, we'd have a possibility of staying up, even with something like a 12-point deduction, because looking at this season's table, 12 points deduction, if you got if you actually won 62 points and then took away 12, you'd end up with 50. And 62 would have got us to 11th this season. And look, I know it sounds a million miles away at the moment, but with a half-decent summer, some decent signings, maybe we could get 62 points. So I'd say we could have got away with 12. But if your caveat is that it's with this current squad and with this current management, I agree with Tom. I, I think we go down without a points deduction. Well, look at it this way. we If we get a 12-point deduction next season... Yeah. We need to average playoff form, really. We need, no, to, no, we we need to, to have no. We need to average eleventh place form going off this season. We well, yeah, like we we we'll use it sixty points. Yeah, like well, 60, 62, 64 Which I'm pretty points, sure is, really. is what Millwall got. Yeah, finished eleventh. So it needs to be minimum top half. Probably looking at top ten sort of form. Which, to be fair, is what we were averaging with Bielik and the team <laughs> is he but can we guarantee Bielik's going to come back from injury and be fit and also well, be it a won't be quality. till November will it then? so we're, we're we're in a real pickle well I put it all I can say is I saw him kicking a ball off a trampoline last week yeah very, very well and incredibly well <laughs> I think that means that he's closer to, to, to match fitness than we think he is very briefly uh, and seriously for a second I think whatever happens with Derby obviously obviously we know it's up for sale the room, the kind of figures that have been bounded about is that Alonso is going to pay, two, I think, two and a half million up front and then two and a half million within the next 12 months. But most importantly, take on all the debt that's piled up at Derby County, which I think is around the 60 million pound mark. When you add in things like HMRC tax bills, uh, the loans from MSD and, and Gabe and stadium issues, and that's a complete mess. So the sale price is kind of irrelevant. It's the, the liabilities it's taking on. Mel Morris does not want to be caught holding the holding the can so to speak when it all falls apart that's why i think he was desperate to sell to eric alonso because he just wanted to pass on liability to someone else and mel could walk away kind of like whistling in the wind uh, so to speak so derby are in a situation where we're going to be bought by someone else it could be via administration it could not be i think what derby fans need to start thinking about is what do we want from our club what do we want our club to stand for? Like for me, supporting Derby County isn't about being super successful. Like if it was about being super successful, then Derby County wouldn't have the fan base it currently has because we're not particularly successful. We haven't been particularly successful for most of my life, if we're honest. You could count obviously the, the mid to late nineties as a really fun period and, and relatively successful. That's what I would count as, as successful as a Derby County fan. But what you want from your club is a club to be proud of, a club which makes a difference in its community. It brings people together. Derby, as a fan base, should be competing in the top half of the championship at the very, very least. So you don't, in my opinion, you don't need a sugar daddy owner to, to fund us all about the league. You just need to be well run and well managed. There's plenty of clubs who are smaller than Derby County who have done that recently. Brentford is the obvious example uh, who have been well run. And if, if you ran yourself in the same way that Brentford did and have in clever recruitment, which is cheaper than have buying expensive players, then Derby would be challenging top six every single season and would eventually get promoted uh, to, the, to the Premier League. So I think Derby County fans, there needs to be a discussion between different groups. There needs to be some effort to see what is possible with regards to 
ourselves actually investing in the club if we could find and this is all massive ifs i know it sounds very very pie in the sky it sounds very very idealistic but i think football is in a very very unique moment right now where people are asking these questions about what does football actually mean who should be the custodians of football clubs if 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 derby county fans and i think they're capable of raising a significant amount of money could team up with whether it's a local investor or international investor who has who, who believes in the ideals of local community ownership i think derby county could could produce a club we're all very proud of and that means you know enhanced community involvement you know, derby county in the community already do really really good work but you know why aren't we serving for example and people will probably shout me down as being ridiculous but why aren't we serving local derbyshire beers in the concourses why aren't we only buying uh, supplies from local derby county uh, Derbyshire businesses all these things could make a really cool community club that we're all proud of and that's what fans need to start talking about because if we enter administration and the best people to go and talk to are Wigan fans Derby fans need to mobilize to raise funds to keep this club going and I think that's what's going to have to happen over the summer fundamentally there's got to be better communication as well hasn't there like it's all very well doing the fan forums and things are going well but the you know these piecemeal club statements and these two-minute chats with Jim White on TalkSport it's not it's it's the, the I've never felt I felt I feel so disconnected to the club right now and I'm not the only person saying that no, so many not. fans do as well so hopefully there's more communication hopefully there's more clarity over the summer and well we'll have to see what happens when next season starts what league we're in what state we're in uh, but Tom and Anton, any more closing thoughts on the season before we wrap it up? I'm really looking forward to not thinking about Derby County until <laughs> June 24th when the fixtures come out and then not thinking about them until August the 3rd when the uh, first game is. Actually. What you don't know is that I've penciled you in for like three extra bonus podcasts <laughs> over the summer. See you later, Chris. I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's just all look forward to being back at Pride Park. Oh, again. God, yeah. Yeah. God, yeah. What, what a day that's going to be. I what? cannot think of a better way and a better sentiment to end the podcast on a few bombshells that we've dealt with there but who knows what's going to happen certainly not us but look it feels appropriate somehow get given the situation we're in to call time on this season on that sort of bombshell but look we just really want to say thank you for putting up with us this season for, for listening we know how hard it's been even watching the games to begin with so to watch the games and then listen to us prattle on about Derby not scoring goals for about seven years is in itself even more of a chore and we're really really appreciative of the uh, of the support you give us because it does keep the podcast going it does get me out of bed in the morning when i've got a uh, mammoth podcast edit to uh, to, to get through the worst season by far and two of those involve losing in the playoffs so you know just take that have a little think about that well we're <laughs> off anton's off to uh, sit in a hot tub all summer no doubt tom and kutch are probably off to drowning beer and wine and I'm off just to scream into a pillow I think we have really appreciated you listening Anton thank you cheers Chris Tom always a pleasure all the best Kutch see you pre-season go well cheers guys <laughs>